Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Bed Cardew. And today we're talking about dads and being dads and house and dad house. <laughs> hey, hey, daddy yo. Exactly. Swing it, baby. Uh, we're both dads, so uh, so I guess we're in the right place. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the starting point for all this, I must confess, was, it was another podcast I was listening to. Um, and they were talking uh, about the phenomenon of uh, Dad House. I'd say it was a big mouth podcast. And uh, Joe Muggs, who... Fellow uh, dad. Exactly. Someone we, we, we both know, was talking about Dad House within the context of the new uh, Joe Goddard album. And uh, I've seen around a few times people talking about Dad House, and I find, as a dad who likes house, <laughs> I find it, I find it quite interesting. The 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 whole idea for that. What do you think? Um, well, so first of all, what I mean, there, there's so many ways to go here. I, I I find it interesting because the dad thing is kind of like as sort of a meme or a thing. Like dadness is everywhere right now. Dad hats are really in. Like what are dad hats? Dad hats are basically just baseball caps. Um, with a slightly rounded brim, you know, for years everybody was wearing the flat brim ball cap, um, or the five panel ball cap, also with a with a with a flat brim. Nowadays, it's all about the the kind of classic. It's a '90s thing, basically. It's the classic okay. '90s curved brim ball cap, and you'll see them referred to as dad hats. Um, and now lately, I've been seeing well, you hear about dad jeans as well, like Obama wore dad jeans kind of unfashionable, you know, like a, a not cool bleached cut, you know, like a light blue uh, bleach, like a, not skinny, a little too wide, a little high-waisted. Um, lately, I've been seeing dad sneakers or references to dad sneakers. Um, there are some really awful Asics <laughs> out right now. I think it's a Woodwood collaboration that really look like, they look like something Seinfeld would wear, um, as uh, as Molly Lambert put it. Um they're, yeah, they're, they're terrible. But so this whole dad idea as kind of a shorthand for sort of retro, ironic, fuddy-duddiness is definitely a thing. And Dad House, um, let me give you a definition from UrbanDictionary.com. Yeah, so please. You, you know it's true. Uh, deep House music your dad listens to. As in, come to this great DIY free party, son. All my friends will be there. You'll love it. I thought it was quite good. I mean, d- in a way, it makes sense because um, the people who uh, once listened to house music, once went to raves, uh, are getting older. Um, and they're not ready to retire into their, you know, Phil Collins albums and uh, uh, what other things do, do old people listen to? Well, they're, they're, they're not ready to give up on the house music. Um, but I think you'll find in many instances, kind of classic. Um, example that people sort of don't pick up on the new things you know you get to a certain age um, and you sort of cease to like the new genres of music and you want new music that refers back to when you were 20 right and that essentially is what dad house is Um, it's house music uh, that sounds like house music from the 90s so there's no there's no sort of thumping epic bass lines. It's very disco influenced. It's a lot of vocals. There's a lot of pianos, that kind of thing, funk. Um, and uh, the kind of few examples I've heard, well, I haven't, I don't particularly like, I must <laughs> confess. <laughs> but doesn't all 
house music right now basically sound like house music from the 90s? <laughs> Does it? I mean, but there, there's, um, I think there's a big difference between um, house music that kind of takes the late 90s um, sort of two-steppy sound and does that kind of thing with this kind of music that 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 sounds it sounds kind of like the night the early 90s doing the disc doing disco right, from the right. late 70s if you see what I mean um, I mean if you listen to uh, for example the new uh, Joe Goddard album which is called Electric Lines it is just incredibly disco and he samples um, a lot of the choruses from old disco tunes and in fact one song um is called music is the answer and i i was listening to i thought this is a bit familiar and it actually lifts the chorus from danny tanaglia's music is the answer okay so it's actually that taking literally taking a chorus from from the early 90s and just using it in his own music and you can really imagine no one's going to play this in a nightclub at four o'clock no one mm -hmm. it's not for that kind of thing it's kind of for afternoons maybe 11 o'clock in the pub that kind of thing <laughs> um but it is it's it's pretty retro i guess what i'm i'm interested in is the idea of what because, because i do think that every everything sounds like the 90s right now and it has for a while i mean duke demont not all of it's sort of simulacral but duke demont sounds like the 90s ten snakes sounds like the 90s um, then all of the quote-unquote lo-fi house stuff um, on Lobster Theremin. I mean, that sounds like the 90s in its own kind of way. Um, I mean, everything sounds like the 90s, and so I'm curious about what divide... Like, kids these days, right? Like, the 18 to 24-year-old who's discovered house music from, well, like all of us do in clubs or whatever, but has then kind of gotten a master's degree in classic house on YouTube and probably knows more about archival house than you or I do, despite the fact that we actually were maybe around for a lot of that era that kids these days come up on YouTube, they know everything. Right. Um, but what's separating the music that they're in, the, the, the 90s house that they're digging from the dad house that's referencing the same well i think that's 90s influenced music f made for and by young young people, people. yeah oh, i mean like people. disclosure disclosure when yeah. they came along um you and i uh, i'm sure we could have picked over the parts go oh, that's a bit like the awful dodger that's a mm. bit like masters at work or whatever but young people were well into it you know disclosure right. were massive um and it was a youthful audience whereas um things like joe goddard um hi-fi sean which is another example of this i don't think young people listen to i mean i would be prepared to be proved wrong but i really don't think is music for people in their 40s made by people in their 40s 50s um and that's the difference i think well i guess maybe this would be a good place to bring up LCD sound system because yes. LCD sound system is not really house music. Oh yeah. No LCD sound system is not house music, even though uh, James Murphy has DJed it in his DJ sets for years. Um, but here is an artist that is very, very, very preoccupied with aging um, and writes many of his songs about kind of the anxiety of aging. Um, and I've been, I'm wondering how young people like do younger people care about lcd sound system at this point they've only been gone for six years i 
again, I don't particularly know all that many younger people. Um, but I don't think you have do. two of them living in your house. Well, right they now. don't like LCD. <laughs> so if I tried, they'd throw me out. I think, but I'm not listening to their music. Well, I do all the time, but I <laughs> but I don't think they do. I think again, LCD Sound System is is a is a band for people very much of our age, and I don't think they care. I don't think they they try to reach out to young people. I mean, there was a thing about their new album. Um, so they released these two new songs, which we're going to talk about. And they had a massive post on Facebook basically talking about when is the new album coming out. And James Murphy said, it's not going to come out <laughs> until there's vinyl. Because, well, because I'm an old person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I think they they know they're kind of doing it for for people of our age, for older people. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I think um, that's part of... It's part of Murphy's shtick in a way, and it's also, I mean, it's always been a part of his his music, even from the beginning. I mean, their very first single, um, "Losing My Edge," was, I mean, it's right there in the title. It's it, that's a song about getting old and irrelevant. And this is very interesting because one thing that they do, very, I think they write about that kind of thing. Uh, he writes about that kind of thing very well because. There's not a lot of music that talks about this kind of thing, particularly not electronic music. Um, because, I mean, you know, have you found that there's much electronic music that, that talks about your experience, uh, you know, getting older, becoming a father? No, kind of no, I mean... And would you like there to be more? Yeah, of course, there, of course, yeah. I, I want music for my demo, you know, before <laughs> I before I age fully into the uh, to the AARP demo. Yeah, I would like you know some techno people speaking to my specifics. So the two new LCD sound system tracks, um, "Call the Police" and "American Dream." One thing I really liked in "Call the Police" was I got the impression. Um, I mean, obviously, it uh, sounds a lot like. Not that much about all of my friends. I think yeah, everyone's yeah. everyone sort of brought. It's almost like a wink, isn't it? You know. And when he talks about let's move to Berlin again, it's almost like mm -hmm. surely they've talked about that before in a song. And I quite like the the way that he's just almost doing that. He's like saying, "Yeah, we're back." You know, we've got mm -hmm. all these other songs. This one, hey, maybe it sounds a bit like it, but I don't care. They even know? reference death from above in the song. It's Do they? Yeah, yeah. It's something. What What's the line in the song? It's like we don't care about love or something like that. And the the couplet is we don't care about love. It's just death from above. So ah. Little, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really figured out entirely what Call the Police is about, if it's about any one thing. But I do, I mean, I read it, at least the first part of the song, as kind of being obliquely about perhaps their breakup and return to the world stage, which wouldn't be the craziest thing. I mean, All My Friends was also, um, kind. Of, I mean, in All My Friends, one the the verse that I wrote down here is says to tell the truth. Oh, this could be the last time. So here we go. Like a sales force into the night, which I, I've always loved that line sales force into the night. But this idea of here's a band possibly on the, on the cusp of breaking up, um, you know, and, and kind of crystallizing that sensation of what, what that meant to him, you know? And I don't know. I've, I find sometimes bands singing about being in bands can be kind of, pretentious but i think james murphy does it quite well i think the reason why it works so much um particularly uh in all my friends is because okay it's about being in a band but it's also about being with your friends so um when they play that you can kind of see people who are there with their friends like yeah, all of my yeah. friends are here Tom, whatever the line is you know you know what i mean and they're here they're there with their friends and so they kind of relate to it in that way it's not like 
um, too specific. It's not like, you know, all of my friends in a band here tonight. It's like all right, my friends, right. um, which I think is very well done. So uh, of, the, of the new tracks, you, you've been writing about them, I know. Um, where do you stand on them? Uh, I love Call the Police. Um, and, and I was kind of surprised because I'm not, I mean, I, I really like LCD Sound System. I'm not like a diehard fan. You know what I mean? It, they, I don't reach for their albums. I haven't seen them live since something like 2002 or 2003 or, I mean, really, really early on. Um, and I wasn't expecting to, to care that much. Um, and, and we put on Call the Police in the living room the morning it came out. And like my wife and daughter and I were kind of dancing around uh, the the living room to to call the police, and it was a lot of fun. I think um, a it kind of shamelessly cribs the melody of New Order's Procession. Yes. Uh, wait, Procession is that the one? I think it is Procession. Yeah. Which is my favorite New Order song by by a long way. So. Um, well, that's obviously regret, but <laughs> <don't> <laughs> let's not get into yeah, that yeah. now. <laughs> Objectively speaking, it's Procession. So I thought that was great. Um, I like the shamelessness of it. I like that it really aims for the bleachers. You know, it's really trying to be another big epic anthem like All My Friends was. And and it pretty pretty much succeeds at that. Do you know what? It, it's one of those songs that sounds a lot like lots of other songs, but kind of, it sounds a lot like so many other songs that you can't really consider it a ripoff because it right, sounds a lot right. like All My Friends. It sounds a lot like Press Possession and it really reminds me of Heroes as well, like Bowie's Heroes. Yeah, yeah. And um, sometimes I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is sort of pure Heroes. And then sometimes, and it's very... It's like a lenticular image. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It depends the way you look at it. You know, different different things come out. And um, I just think it's, it's, it's a great track. Um, and I... Do you remember when we did a podcast, David Bowie just died, and we talked about um, bands, uh, how LCD sounds. I remember predicting that they were going to do a Bowie cover, and they did that summer. They played they played Heroes. And this almost feels like a sort of extension. Their follow-up to the Bowie cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think even Murphy's voice sounds more like Bowie here than ever before. I had the sense that with Bowie finally gone, he was kind of like allowing himself to imitate more freely in a weird way. I mean, not in a, not in a bad way. I maybe not even self-consciously. I just felt like his voice at certain points in that song sounds much more like Bowie than he's ever done before. I suppose the other thing is, um, he's probably, again, it's an age thing. You know, mm. you get to that kind of age. And, um, one thing I found is you, you, you're not sort of so embarrassed about certain things. You don't yeah. particularly mind what people think about you. And I can imagine if you're 20, and someone says, "Yeah, you sound like David Bowie." But no, I don't. No, I don't. I sound like me. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. if you're if you're forty, be like, "Yeah, I sound like David Bowie." Like, David oh, thank you. Great, thank you very you much. <laughs> and also, he's worked with David Bowie. So oh, you know. and there is that there is that uh, line about where you make up like a man in the song, ah. which uh, to me immediately I thought of as a Bowie reference. I mean, I uh, one of the things that particularly pleased me about this was I really loved Sound of Silver, LCD Sound System, and this is happening. I thought was a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw a Facebook comment on uh, the piece that I wrote uh, for Pitchfork, and somebody said they were complaining about the uh, about the new songs, and they're like, "Well, it's not, it's it doesn't grab you in the way that the Drunk Girls did the first time you heard Drunk Girls." And I remember the first time I heard Drunk Girls, I hated that song, and I still don't particularly want to hear it. It's not great, is it? No. And talking of not great. Sorry, that's a bit harsh, but <laughs> <laughs> American Dream, the second, the I second mean, song. American Dream is, um, 
I like I like the lyrics a lot. I like the story it tells. Um, I think in the pantheon of songs about regrettable one night stands, it's it's way up there. I mean, it, is that what it's about? Well, I mean, if you parse the lyrics, it begins with him waking up in a in a bed that is not his. Um, he's he's taken acid. Doesn't specify when, but he, he's on acid and he, he wakes up in this other person's bed and he goes and he looks in the mirror and his beard is crawling all over his face. And it seems to be, yeah, the song is basically about kind of like a one night stand that, that, that was disappointing that you can't, yeah, it's about regret. It's about, um, desire. It's about sort of self, um, being disappointed with yourself yeah yeah being disappointed kind of with yourself being disappointed with yourself and then it ends on this american dream note um and you know i don't know how much it has to do with how much it's biographical how much it's something out of his youth how much it's an allegory for something bigger and more american um but i i like the story it tells a lot i think the song itself is a little ho-hum as a B-side, I think it's fine. What I think is funny is they went to such pains to describe the single as a double A-side, when to me, like, American Dream is so obviously the lesser of the two songs. I mean, it doesn't have the melody. The melody's all right. That's the thing. It sounds pretty... I quite like the production. I mean, it reminds me of uh, Iggy Pop's Night Clubbing, mm -hmm. to go back to David Bowie yet again. Yeah. Um, and I think it sounds quite interesting, but the melody just isn't there. But you were saying that people have been saying that it's the best of the two. Well, yeah, I, I was looking on, on Facebook, on the Pitchfork comments, and then also just some of my friends, and, and the friends of mine were like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're they're both great, but American Dream is so obviously the superior song. It's like, that's odd, you know? So I, I do like the fact that they've written two songs that can appeal kind of to in wildly different ways and that, you know, reasonable pe reasonable people can disagree on so strongly. Not online, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a reasonable fashion. Um, do you think that maybe, maybe there's an element of people just really wanting songs about what America is right now? Yeah, I think that's probably a very, uh, very good possibility. I mean, you don't call a song American Dream uh, without a very good reason. No, you know? and then Call the Police is all about, I mean, it's it's a... It, whatever it is about it 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 kind of ends in a riot it's about sort of um you know restive populations the the final line in it is eat the rich i mean something about the, and they're lining up to eat the rich i mean that's if that isn't topical i don't know what is exactly <laughs> kind of an odd odd lyric from a guy that opened a wine bar but hey we'll give it to him we are So I want I want to take things back to to dads for a moment, if I will, and. Um, songs that uh, or kind of sum up the fatherhood experience because I recently reviewed an album by grime producer Mr. Mitch, uh, it's called Devout and it's quite unique in that the whole album is about fatherhood well, not sorry, not quite the whole album um, about 
a quarter of it, a third of it, explicitly references fatherhood. And but it's not it's not like a sort of uh, vague reference. It's not like saying, "Oh, I love my children." It's actually about like right now I've got a child, so I've got to you know grow up. And I went to the hospital, and the birth was was painful, and and then there's another one talking about now you're going to be a big brother to your younger son. Right, right. Um, and I found this incredibly original actually i couldn't think of any other electronic music albums that have that have done that yeah i i can't we were talking about this before and i i can't think of any models for that i mean the closest i could come is raymond scott's soothing sounds for baby which is not uh about the experience of fatherhood it's kind of a it's an ambient soundtrack for babies but that's a very different thing you know that's yes Anybody could have, I actually don't know for sure that he had children when he made that. I mean, that, that doesn't have to be, that didn't reflect back on him. That's kind of a scientific experiment. So, yeah, in terms of songs, electronic music that's about the experience of being a dad, I can't think of anything. And one thing um, I found, again, fascinating was that it comes from a grime producer. Right. I mean... Which is a hyper-masculine sort of genre. Yeah. I mean, you look at the lyrics of most grime tracks and they're about, you know, jumping up and down and, and sort of being naughty, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay, Mr. Mitch is not your average grime producer. He does the sort of piece edits. He does a lot of instrumental grime. But I found it fascinating and, and brave that he, that he took this step. And... <coughs> Slightly, I really wanted to like it. I really wanted it to to work really well. I I was thinking, I'm the target audience. I'm a grime fan who's got a young family. This is me. This is going to be the best thing ever. And it just didn't quite do it. I I think part of the problem for me, and I I like the record a lot, um, it's always tough to kind of put topical content into electronic music. Um. I could have heard the you know the the vocal free parts of that album without the press release and just thought it was like interesting sonically interesting kind of post grime music um and the the top I don't know I mean the topic feels a little shoehorned in there in some ways um I don't know if I if I agree I feel the topic's kind of quite central to it um, but I think my my problem is it's just a little bit too too sweet. Too, yeah, you said that in your yeah in your review that it's like really 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 hyper sweet. Kind of a lot of his um, older productions I like best have got something slightly gritty in it. But this is like really really really. I mean you could you could play a lot of it to a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine are a bit old and they would tell me to go away. But <laughs> <laughs> it would be quite an interesting experiment. But you see, what, what interests me about this is, what do you think younger people would make of it? If you're not a father, do you do you want people talking about this kind of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I have really no idea. I'm trying to think of... I mean, I don't want to generalize too much because obviously there, there are right. young people who are empathetic and interested in different perspectives and there are young people that are not... Um, but does, does, is what he's singing, uh, you know, writing about, does it have a broad appeal? I don't know. I mean, it's so specific. It's because, I mean, particularly the, um, the lead track, the single priority, which has an MC talking about it. I mean, um, it's not like I had to overcome this, uh, which could apply to lots of things. It's like, I mean, to give you a line from it, 
Birthing's powerful. I remember when you first came out, the struggles got easy, hard work paid off. That's about someone being born. That's right, not, right. you know, you can't apply that to sort of, I've done well in my exams or I had a difficult <laughs> time you, or, you know, like my girlfriend's dumped me. It's just because it's not about that. It's very, very specific. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a certain universalism there. I mean, everybody, I think, understands. But if you're 20, do you care? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Do you remember when we made our love? Do you remember when we made our love? Do you remember when we made our love? Do you think we're going to see more of this kind of thing with with the aging? Do you think we're going to see more dad house? Do you think we're going to see more specific things? made for 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 people of our age referencing our age i mean gray hair house you know yeah i mean i guess certainly there'll be more of this sort of retro type of thing that we started the the segment talking about in terms of musician electronic musicians talking about kind of parenthood and families i i would hope so it's really funny because you and pearson um who has two kids uh today on his facebook and i'm going to just quote from his personal facebook and i hope he doesn't uh, hate me for it, but he said DJing in front of hundreds of thousands of people at Love Parade was nowhere near as scary as manning the music during Pass the Parcel at a three-year-old's <laughs> birthday party. I think, I hope everyone got a present. Um, Ewan Pearson has two kids and, and has really been kind of fairly inactive for the past couple of years. Um, I think he's doing, mostly he's taking care of his kids and then he's working as a producer uh, and remixer and playing some, but you know he's really kind of full-time father. So I thought that was quite funny. Um, I do wonder among working musicians how, because so far we've only been talking about fatherhood, which right. naturally we're, we're both dads, but how fathers and mothers' experiences are different. Um, I recently interviewed Karen Guire for a piece that'll be coming out in Pitchfork pretty soon. And she has two kids, two young kids. Um, her last album that came out was written while she was pregnant shortly before giving birth and that was kind of part of the the narrative around the album um and i think from some interviews i read of her at the time i think she was a little bit frustrated by the extent to which that came to define the album um because she talked about it and well it was like i think it was in the press release but then everybody every review was like this is an album about giving birth she's like no i just you know i i made it while i was pregnant um, yeah. That that's it. Um, it's like I made this song while I was hungry. It's not a song about hunger, you know. Anyway, um, but I was we, we talked quite a bit about um, about parenthood and kind of the challenges of of doing creative work and being a parent. I mean, she had her 15 month old basically on her lap while we were doing the interview, so that was kind of part of the um, she she changed a diaper during the interview on Skype. Um, but I was struck that for her, a lot of a lot of what she talked about was really just the logistical difficulties of being a mother, doing creative work, um, and having kids because the mother is kind of expect the the father can in most families the father gets time off, right? And it's like yeah, the the dad can go off and like DJ two gigs for the weekend and blah blah blah, um, but 
for her, like she's turning down most gigs that aren't close to home that, you know, she's, she's not playing more often than she's playing. Um, for her to like carve out the time to record the album, she had to specifically say to her husband who works full time who's kind of the primary breadwinner, like here are the kids, take them, give me four hours. I have an album to make, you know, and that's, and she did her album in like four hour uh, chunks under those conditions. And, and that's, I I think most women probably have women artists that that's just a reality that, that men don't. And so like, Electronic music about motherhood, I think, would be very different than electronic music about fatherhood. Do you, are there any? We've talked about fatherhood. Can you think of any uh, electronic music songs or albums that kind of reference motherhood? I can't think of anything. I mean, nothing comes to mind. No. Um, listeners, if you know of any electronic music about motherhood, send Line us noise. a recommendation. Linenoisepodcast at gmail dot com. There you go. <laughs> One one last thing I wanted to to talk about when we mentioned Mr. Mitch was that something I find increasingly interesting over the years is uh, reading interviews uh, with someone like Wiley, who is roughly our age, who's been around forever, and you used to read interviews with him and he'd be talking about, uh, you know, the most important things would be talking about clubs and going out and that kind of thing. I remember reading an interview with him recently, and he was basically talking about how you, he keeps his daughter quiet on a flight. And he was like, yeah, you got to go up. you got to walk them up and down, you know. And I was like, <laughs> I'm taking fatherhood tips from Wiley. This, this is great. This content is relevant to my interests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I reckon he could do a fascinating album about uh, fatherhood or influenced by fatherhood. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, so it's recommendation time. Indeed it is. Uh, do you want to kick us off? Right, so my recommendation for this week... Uh, the artist's name, I guess, could maybe f- fall under Dad House because it's something that you could do with your son. Um, it's DJ Sports. DJ Sports. <laughs> that really is not a very good name. <laughs> so. I mean, after after DJ Seinfeld, DJ Ross from True, Friends, yeah. you would think that DJ names couldn't get any more basic, and then you got DJ Sports. To me, it sort of seems a bit like someone going, oh, I don't like sports. I'm just going to call it. I don't know why I get that impression. You know, people are like, oh, sports, yeah, yeah. sports. Um, yeah, so DJ Sports uh, is Danish. Um, uh, his name is Milan Zaks. Uh, he's part of the Regelbau Collective, and he's got an album coming out on the Firecracker label soon. Um, we're going to listen to a track called World A, uh, and it's kind of like slow drum and bass and i'm not typically a big lover of drum and bass no that's interesting you chose this i mean you don't uh we've talked about this before i don't think you really ever listened to drum and bass you didn't have a drum and bass phase did I, you? Did, I did i did actually i had a short phase um i got really into no u-turn and like nico <laughs> and um trace Nico and Trace and Ed Rush and the the tech step thing. I really liked right. te- tech step because um, it was like dark and gloomy and I like things that are dark and gloomy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I liked Fotech and Source Direct a lot. Mm. I still do rate them. Um, and I even, I did go through a phase of buying a lot of like very expensive, like um, LTJ Bookham, like five 10-inch box sets. You know, right. like he put out all of those things and I, and I bought way too many of them so so this dj sports track reminds me of bookham in a weird way it has the like floaty ethereal pads the sort of like ethereal vocal sample in there um what's unusual i mean it's a little slower than you than regular drum and bass and and instead of using actual break beats he's kind of programmed his own um percussion 
but it's definitely supposed to be a kind of drum and bass vibe. But it's a kind of drum and bass you would almost certainly never hear in a drum and bass club. If you no. see what I mean. And I don't mean that as a criticism in any way. I like I like this track a lot. Um, but it's just not that kind of thing. I mean, I find um, a lot of drum bass these days, the stuff you hear in clubs, has to have a certain sound. It has to have a certain rhythm. And this doesn't have it. No, I mean, this. It, well, not only is it slower and the breakbeat, so to speak, is kind of like, tumbling down the stairs and kind of haphazard but it's not i mean it it sounds great on on good speakers but it's not like engineered to within an inch of its life the way that club drum and bass is it reminds me quite a bit of um sw and the suede label s-u-e-d um they're out of berlin i think uh resident advisor did a label profile of them right. last year and it, it reminds me of them in the sense that they have they're kind of pushing beyond the usual house and tempo kind of rhythmic cadences and house and techno rhythmic cadences and and tempos and structures and they're and they're playing with different sorts of rhythms and that's kind of what this is doing as well it's like looking for greener pastures if you will uh you said you have got the album you're going yeah. to be reviewing the album. I, I will be reviewing the album. Um, yeah. What's it like? Is it all like this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is in is in this sort of vein. Um, it's kind of unusual rhythm experiments, mm -hmm. and um, with a sort of retro, not retro vibe hanging over it. Uh, I like it a lot so far. Stay tuned. Again, it's kind. It's kind of. I, I find it strange that people would be um, reviving that. Uh, LTJ Bookham sound from from twenty years ago, but more power to them. Well, you know, there was actually there was a you know Mall Grab, yes, Australian producer, part of that again that quote unquote lo-fi house scene. Um, he did a DJ mix probably a year ago, and to really bring things full circle, um, and so his, that whole mix is is kind of classic jungle and drum and bass. A lot of it seemed to be slowed down by about 20%. So it was closer to this tempo than real proper jungle tempo. Um, and I listened to that one day with my daughter on my lap. This is to bring it back to dad right. house. When she was like, dad I, I don't know, when she was um, a year old, she was quite little. And there's a little video of, we were sitting at my desk listening to it and she was kind of like bobbing her head and had her finger up in the air doing like a little rave finger dance and I videotaped uh, on my phone us for like 30 seconds listening to that and watching her do her little rave dance and um, uh, yeah that's all dad dad jungle Perfect. Is, is a real thing talking of which where do you stand on special request who mm. kind of makes I really enjoy what he does because he uh, recreates that era of, of drum and bass that I really like, the kind of way Which you have kind of a dad drum and bass. That, no, because it's, it works in clubs. It's not polite enough for dad. Although I think it kind of is. I mean, whether it gets played in clubs or not, I, I don't know. But it certainly definitely harkens back to that age, you know, where you would get the massively cut up breakbeats and that kind of thing. It does sound a lot like, you know, uh, classic Four Hero and Goldie and that right, kind of right. thing. I think it might be dad drum bass. I think we might have. There's a there's a great song on the, I think on the like, on the CD or the deluxe version of the CD, and it's got a an M. It's it's supposed to replicate, like an actual jungle rave, and it's got an MC, kind of shouting over the music. But then he says a couple points like, 
don't get up on stage because you're, you're like everybody off the stage. You're like making the needle jump. And then at some point he says something about, oh, and if whoever's got a like a white Ford Fiesta, <laughs> your lights are on or you're you're parked in a, in a in a handicap zone. please. And I thought that was so funny. It's like a contemporary track with I don't know if it was like an actual period recording of an MC, but. The reference to the the white Ford Fiesta in the handicap zone really tipped it over for me. So DJ Sports, let's have a bit more of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. DJ Sports, uh, DJ Ford Fiesta. What's your recommendation this week? Well, this is um, one of these releases that um, the email popped into my inbox uh, one day, and I sort of read it and I was like, "Really? It's a, this? Are you sure?" Because um, the release is uh, it's by Jack People, and it's called Laptop Cafe. And the email popped in. I was like, "Jack People Laptop Cafe." All right, fine. I'll kind of see what this. Um, and in fact, it was promising unreleased uh, work uh, by uh, former Drexia man, now sadly deceased, James Stinson. And um, given how much interest uh, there has been recently about lifestyles of the laptop cafe, um, which got a re-release, and in Drexia in in general. I was kind of surprised because it was like, well, why haven't I heard of this? Yeah. There's unreleased music uh, by him because he's he's slowly but surely got to this level of an absolute legend. Yeah. Which was weird yeah. because, I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's sort of almost when I wasn't paying attention. Um, yeah, he's kind of become dillified a little bit, no? Exactly. Dillified is exactly the word, yes. Um, you know, Drexia were, were great and Lifestyles of the Laptop Cafe is, is, is a great album. But for me, it was always... It, it, uh, it was not legendary or anything mm-hmm. like that, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, but but then the the album was going for stupid amounts on discogs, and they re-released it, and people were basically talking about it. The classic people talking about how it sort of changed their life, and so I, I this this pops this email popped into my inbox, and I emailed you, and I said, "Have you heard of this?" Um, thinking that that you might be better informed. Right. <laughs> Um, and you haven't. No. <laughs> um, and he... Uh, so, yeah, it turns out it's basically... It's a mini-album uh, from Clone Records of a dat that I believe that was just... They found. Lying around somewhere. Exactly. Um, and there are six tracks in total, one of which is, is, is a version of, of a separate track. Um, and it's pretty brilliant, actually. Um this is what they say. In fact, um, it never saw the light of day due to Stain- James Stinson's untimely death finally resurfaced on a long-lost dat tape. And it's pretty great. The song um, I want to play is uh, Song 2. And it kind of sounds a little bit demo-y. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm, I get the feeling that maybe if he hadn't died, he would have polished it a little bit more. 
to kind of complete it. But it still it still sounds fantastic. I mean, that's not to say anything anything bad about it. Let's give it a listen and then return to this uh, question of, of demo or not. It's interesting what you were saying about the tune sounding like maybe it's a demo. Um, at, at first, I, I had that same impression. Um, and maybe across the whole EP, there's a certain demo-ness to it. But but actually, I feel like the track feels pretty complete to me. Like it feels... I don't, I don't know what else I, I would want from it. No, maybe it just... Maybe it was me being influenced by the fact that it says it was like found on an, an right. old dat, and I was like, oh, okay, and, and that, that influenced me in this way. I'm just thinking maybe it's slightly, slightly, slightly rough. You yeah. Know, like it could do with just a But then again, this is, you know, the, the man from Drexia we're talking about. It's not like they were known for pristine sonics and high-def detailing. You know what I mean? Like, I, what I think is really interesting about this track is there's this weird slippery sort of dissonance over it yes um it's a lot of elements that are out of tune with each other not in a not in a grating way but just in a way that's a little bit off-putting it reminds me if anything of um quasars that uh recent mr fingers track um which has its own sort of demo-ish quality to it i mean i think a lot of these like detroit dudes using hardware like i mean Originally, back in the day, that what ended up on the final record was essentially a demo. Anyway, you know what I mean? Like, it was a, a live take on the gear. Yeah. Um, and this is what that sounds like to me. Well, interestingly enough, um, Drexia, uh, when I rather than buying their very expensive records uh, back in in the nineties, I bought the Quest, which was a uh -huh. submerge uh, two CD two compilation. CD, I had that, um, and it has a demo on it, the Mutant Gilman. Uh, which is an experiment gone wrong, and it's kind of this half-finished track, but it's still, it still really works. You you could you could hear where it was going. Um, I think it, it it, but again, it probably just well for whatever reason they didn't they didn't finish it. Maybe they didn't think it was quite worth it, but it still very much works in itself. And it's very interesting to hear a demo because you're like, yeah, that's kind of kind of it, but it's not quite got that Drexia uh, sheen. I guess if anything screams demo here, it's the fact that the tracks are titled like track one, track two, track three, because James Stinson had such amazing track titles. I mean, the sorrow and a cup of Joe, obviously all of the all of the Drexia stuff, and you know they 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 had such elaborate narrative titles, and so to have something that's just track one, track two, track three, it really <laughs> drives home the point that like it's an unfinished project. You know, it's like he would have. He would have given it a vision that that he wasn't able to. But luckily, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very happy that it it's finally seen the light of day. Well done, Clone Records. Yeah. Well, Clone's been doing great stuff with with all of the Drexia back catalog. Really, I mean, they they put out those what three compilations or anthologies so far? Uh, the Dwellers of the Deep is that the title? Oh, I'm not sure. They they also put out a very early James Stinson record, didn't they? They they re-released it. Um, I can't remember the name of it just at the moment, um, but there there was uh, something he did um, 
pre-Drexia, which was really, really rare. Uh, Hyperspace Sound Lab by Clarence G. I missed that somehow. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's from uh, something he did in 1991, and it went for upwards of 500 uh, euros on Discogs, but they uh, re-released it in 2015. So, yeah, with any luck, Clone has more of these uh, unreleased dats in oh, their possession. I hope so. Time will tell. I guess that's it for this week or this month. <laughs> we'll, time will tell when, when we're back next. Um, next time we'll be, we'll be in the new studio. That's right, the new studio. Yeah. Uh, we're moving. You won't be able to tell tell the difference in our voice. We'll keep it the same. I, who knows? Maybe the acoustics will be that much better. Well, exactly. So if we're sounding particularly fresh the next time, you know you know what's happened. It's a new studio. Uh, thanks for listening. Send us an email. LineNoisePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at LineNoisePod. Uh, like us on Facebook. <laughs> so many ways. So many ways. Um, that's it. Thanks again. Bye.